0: Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Chang Rinpoche. Chapter 31. Right on cue a dog barked and we stood there for five or ten minutes longer. Then somewhat seamlessly we returned to Rinpoche's room. I had no idea how that had happened and it may simply have been that we both turned to the door at the same time. We returned to Rinpoche's room where Rinpoche dismissed Pema Dorje. We sat in silence. Chapter 31 Just Be Natural My last day with Rinpoche was utterly, brilliantly joyful. It wasn't too horribly overshadowed by its demise except toward the end. Rinpoche spoke of many things, most of which are too technical to describe in the context of a book such as this. Rinpoche gave advice on many subjects and made occasional jests, as well as the ongoing tease about my aristocratic dark maroon, toner. This had become an enormous joke but it may not be obvious to most people what was so amusing about its repetition. You would have had to have been there, I suppose. I think the joke was a symbol of our closeness, the fact that he could tease me and that I could enjoy being teased. The joke kept telling me that I was accepted and more than accepted. He'd said I was his son and that meant more to me than most things in the world. I bade Rinpoche farewell that night and packed my rucksack for departure early the following morning. I hadn't attempted to find the taxi driver, the one I'd threatened with a fictitious knife, because I needed to make my money last another six weeks or so. The rainy drive in Tsolpema seemed as if it had occurred a few years past at least, but it was a matter of months. I don't know how the taxi driver expected me to seek him out in any case. He'd given me no telephone number, and I knew of no telephone in Tsolpema. This is not an uncommon state of affairs in India a situation in which there is no clear sense to be made of anything. I jumped a vegetable truck, as it was the easiest and cheapest way out. When I offered to pay the truck driver, however, he said, you must not be thinking that every Indian wants to take your money. There are many greedy people, but not all Indians are like this. He was right that was my experience of india i found outrageous dishonesty there i also found outrageous generosity and kindness i found that everything works out in india if you keep your head and give everything your best shot i caught the bus from mandi back to MacLeod Ganj to spend a short time with yeshe dorje rinpoche and his sangyum, Kandro Tenzin Drolka. Kandro Tenzin was always extremely kind to me. I'd known her since 1971 when I first went to India. She treated me like one of the family to the extent that I felt like a natural relative. When I got to MacLeod Ganj, there were many more injis than I'd ever seen before and the Buddhists amongst them had started identifying themselves by wearing Tibetan shirts and jackets and, of course, the ubiquitous tanga round the neck. They used the word mala, which is Sanskrit, and a lot of other words that seemed needless when there were adequate English equivalents. Some had even taken to speaking in the strange broken English of their Tibetan lamas. Lama he say we reciting six hundred thousand Mani mantras, then Sukavati going. I'd had nothing to say in response to such statements. I'd tried to make an approving nod or say something to the effect that it was wonderful to hear such things, and they'd then sneer at me, knowing that I was not one of the Nangwa, not an insider. They'd ask me, why do you wear robes when you're not a monk? I'd reply, well, they're not monk's robes, they're nakpa robes. They'd then cover the embarrassment of their ignorance by saying something complicated, or saying, well, I could wear those if I wanted to, but I'd find it pretentious. Then I'd say, thanks for telling me. It's always useful to know what people think. Then I bid them a pleasant day and leave. I told Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche about this whilst I was with him. Oh yeah, Tom yours, he replied. This is why I avoid Inges. Are all Inges like this? No Rinpoche, there are probably as many sincere Inges, but Rinpoche laughed at my inconclusive statement. But you have met too many Tomyors like this. Yes, Rinpoche, I sighed. I've met too many like this. Although I must say they like me about as much as I like them. Yeah, yeah, there are many Tibetans like this too, he laughed. Everywhere there are Tomyors. Too many Tomyors. He laughed what is to be done i laughed in the past i'd have said teach them dharma but i know that's not a simple matter because when idiots hear dharma they tend to understand korwa from it oh yeah this you have said well rumpche sighed if you pour tea into a sewer it becomes sewage that conversation felt like the distant past as I approached Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche's door in March of 76. I had no idea whether he'd be there or not, but if he wasn't I'd stay a night or two and go on to Nepal to see Dujum Rinpoche. Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche was at home and welcomed me in. Khandro Tenzin was there too and although I missed Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche, I felt at home again. I'd stepped out of India and back into a timeless region of Tibet as it was. Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche was a highly skilled ritual master and from him I gained a wealth of knowledge concerning the powerful theatrical repertoire of Tantra. He was known as the weather maker I have happy memories of making tormas with him. We often sat in the dim, guttering candlelight of his hut, wrapped in blankets against the cold, while the winter rains dripped through a roof of flattened oil cans. From some of those oil cans, we manufactured a set of ritual weapons. Cutting tin cans with Indian scissors is a precarious business and blood occasionally flowed. The end result was always far less ugly than I'd anticipated, and the process showed me that anything is possible, if you have the determination. We painted the thin metal shapes with household paint and arrayed them on the shrine. Yeshe Dorje Rumshe, resplendent in the toner I'd given him, said yes, And burst out laughing. He loved that dark maroon toner. He obviously knew that the ritual weapons were far from perfect but they were all that was possible with little or no money. It seemed too soon before I had to move on again. I was running out of time and money and the monsoon was not too far distant. I bade farewell to Yeshe Dorje Rimshe and Kandro Tenzin and spent a week getting to Nepal by a series of buses and trains. It was something of a foul journey and I was glad when I finally arrived at my destination. On the way across the industrial north of India, the train came to a halt in what seemed to be the middle of a swamp. It was none too fragrant but the vividness of the greeneries was spectacular. It was full of curious movement too. I gazed delightedly and suddenly realised that the area was teeming with marvellous lizards. How beautiful! Then, to my horror, some occupants of the train exited and began throwing stones at them. I then made a spectacle of myself, running up and down, pleading with the idiots involved not to stone the lizards. What have they done to you? I asked, but it made no difference to them. In the end I sat down and wept at the barbarity of their behaviour. This, however, seemed to affect them more than my pleas and they desisted. I thanked them for ceasing the stoning and they made sheepish motions of regret as they boarded the train. I arrived in Kathmandu too late to continue to Boda and spent a vaguely wretched night on Freak Street, where some bombed out hippie tried to rob me as I slept. I'd prefer not to be robbed if you don't mind, I said, as I took hold of the arm that had been slipped into my rucksack. The man swore at me and accused me of being a paranoid breadhead. He assured me that he was merely moving my rucksack to get a little more room. My mistake, I replied, and my apologies for impugning your character with a false accusation. I hereby rescind my unworthy imputation and wish you a pleasant sleep. He gawped at me for a moment and said, are you for real? No, I replied, I'm merely a figment of your imagination. He crept off to his sleeping bag and I buckled my rucksack to the bed where I could rest my arm on it. If he tried again, he'd have to draw more attention to his felonious intentions. The next day, bright and early, I quit the lugubrious lodgings in Freak Street and set off for Boda. I left a note on the would-be robber's pillow which read, Sorry about my misunderstanding last night. I hope it all works out for you. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche's accounts of Tsar Paltrow had had an effect on me. There was a bus to Boda that left early in the morning and I was eager to leave Tamil behind. Tamil was a warren of freak shops and cheap Indian incense blew everywhere from rainbow-coloured stalls. I ran the gauntlet of Tiger Balm salesmen and got on the road to the place where the buses pulled in. A young lad had followed me down the road to the place the bus departed, trying to sell me ganja. I declined politely and continued walking. He then dropped the price. I declined as before. He continued to drop the price till, in desperation, he said, Sir, you cannot buy cheaper than this. He obviously thought I was the hardest bargaining hippie who ever rode the magic bus. I believe you, I replied but you must also believe me when I tell you that I don't use ganja or anything else. The bus arrived more or less on time and it was good to be aboard and leaving. I was heading out of the city into pleasant countryside. Boda is situated in the Kathmandu Valley and at that time it was marvellously peaceful. There was just the churton and the ring of houses that surrounded it. Some had shops on the ground floor facing the Churton, but most were residences. The dirt road outside the Churton was graced by three or four shops that sold vegetables and such like, daily necessities. I'd spend part of each day circumambulating the Churton and I'd usually meet a legless leper at some point. He had a little cart that he propelled with his hands using wooden pads to protect them. He spoke fairly decent English and I took to chatting with him as well as donating some currency. One day when I was sitting with him, a Western Buddhist student passed by. I knew he was a Tibetan Buddhist because he wore maroon trousers and a maroon Tibetan shirt. He also had a tenga around his neck. He reprimanded me for associating with a leper. He has his karma to work out. Don't you know you shouldn't get that close to lepers? He snapped. No, I didn't, I replied, but it's all right for me. And why would that be? He retorted. Because I'm a Buddhist leper and no one wants to know me, therefore I've got nothing to lose. The maroon-clad belligerent strode off round the church and spinning prayer wheels in a devout manner. My response had made the leper laugh, and he asked me whether there was anything he could do for me. My first response was, no, I don't need anything. But then I felt I'd given the wrong answer. It occurred to me that he was trying to repay my donations in some way, and I was not doing him any favours by turning down his offer. As a matter of fact, come to think of it, I do need a pair of sandals. You don't know anywhere where I could get a pair made to my design, do you? Oh, yes, sir. You are coming this way with me and I am showing you. So off we went, and sure enough, he took me to a street-side cobbler, Who made me the best pair of sandals I have ever owned. My friend the leper made sure that my instructions were followed to the letter and was there at each stage of the making to ensure that the sandals were exactly what I wanted. I wore those sandals for years till they were stolen at a Buddhist centre in Britain whilst I was practicing in the shrine room. I had to hitchhike home with bare feet. Be that as it may, I was happy to spend time in Boda and loved being in the Churton precinct. There was a gompa at 12 o'clock, according to the Churton, and Dudjam Rimshay's residence lay at 9 o'clock. I went to see Dudjam Rimshay as instructed, and I explained why I had come. He seemed pleased to see me and welcomed me with a warm smile. Oh, yeah, he laughed. Kunzang Dorje did not eat you then? Yes, Rinpoche, he did, but he spat me out again. You liked him? You learned from him? Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche laughed. He gave you transmission of Zogchen Menak they. Yes, to all three, Rinpoche, I smiled. I liked Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche very much indeed. I was frightened of him at first, and nervous for quite a while, but in the end he became like a father to me, that is to say. He said that I was like a son. I have extreme respect for him in every way. I mean no disrespect when I say this Rinpoche, but he is just like you. I mean, I see him as no different from you. Dujam Rinpoche smiled and nodded. Ya, this is what I wished, and it has become as I wished. You have done all things well. Then he laughed. Even though you have to speak of your knife. How, I mean, how did he know that? I hadn't told anyone about that. It was not some dark secret, but how could Dudjam Rumshe have known? He saw me squirming slightly. Do not worry, I have not become Kunzang Dorje. It is very funny. Anyhow it is good that you know how to be strong in the world. You will need this. Do you have any advice for me Rinpoche in terms of the future? Yeah. After some time coming here and to India, you must return to England to live. First, you must complete practices and retreats, but then you must return. You will be asked to teach in the future, but as much as you can, you must spend time with Kunzang Dorje. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche told me that there would come a time after which I'd not see him for as long as 13 years. yeah, this is one full cycle and one year. This means that you must complete something. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche will give you the indications for what is necessary. So do you have advice for me on lamas with whom I should study in that time? What did Kunzang Dorje say? He suggested Rigsin Ramshe. Yeah, that is good. Then, after that time, you will meet Kunzang Dorje again. You will also meet me again, but not as easily as before. I must travel all the time now and must teach in many places. You will have some difficulties, I think. Yeah, you will have difficulties. We all have difficulties. But for those who practice Dzogchen, difficulties are good. Take all circumstances with the same taste. But also be careful, as you were last night. You cannot trust everyone. You cannot trust everyone who tells you they practice Dharma. There are many bad people in the world and some do not like the Gurkha Day. When you are father to your own children, like Kunzang Dorje has been father to you, then you will need to have strength like Kunzang Dorje. He saw my expression and laughed. No, he shook his head laughing. You do not have to become wrathful like Kunzang Dorje. Just be natural, as you are. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche also warned me of difficulties if I tried to propagate the Gurkha Changlode in the West, but he was extremely happy that you asked me to do this. You still wish to do this? Yes, Rinpoche, I will do this whatever happens maybe you must study Tibetan history when you can then you will know more what to expect from people who do not want to see the Gurkha Changlode, known in the west and who want to press it down in the east. Still the west is very different and the powerful politicians of whom I am speaking have little power there. I will keep you in my mind and feel that maybe all will be well for you. When you are father to your own Gurkha Changlo children, you will see clearly what to do. I went to see Dojum Ramsey as often as possible, but the time was fast approaching when I'd have to head back to Britain to avoid the Barabaresh, the great rains. Just before I left, I found a statue of Garab Dorje. Dujjumrimshe identified it for me as Garab Dorje in the form of teaching Buddha. He looked quite like Shakyamuni Buddha, but his hands were in the teaching mudra. The statue was inexpensive, but it took me down to the lining on my purse. Time to go home.